over that picture again. Ma and me on either side of the gurney. Dad's face, nearly unrecognizable after his car was smashed from behind and he was thrown headfirst through the windshield. His skin was a mottled eggplant shade, the shape of his head so swollen that it could have been a balloon someone blew up, a child's plaything. Pieces of glass stuck out of his hair. A shard the size of my thumb was lodged beneath the skin on his forehead like a misplaced seashell. The surgeon, a small Indian man with dark hair and neat fingernails, had already told Ma and me that his internal injuries were so severe that there was nothing anyone could do except to keep him company while he died. I can't say if he can still hear you, the doctor said, but he might respond to touch. Pray, Ma said, staring at me across Dad's still heaving chest. Her fingers were entwined with his, fear etched on her face like the cracks in an eggshell. Pray with all your might, Bernadette, like you've never prayed before. I did, of course, closing my eyes, and bending my head over my father's battered body, whispering fervently. Back then, I believed in things like that, like praying, pleading with an omnipotent, invisible force to keep my father's breath in his body did not seem so unusual. It was what we did, what we had always done, whether for a simple request like finding more work for Ma, or the life-and-death situation we found ourselves in now. We prayed, we begged, we beseeched. Please, 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 please. Of course, whether or not God decided to grant our wish was another thing entirely. That was up to Him. It had nothing to do with us, or how badly we wanted or even needed the thing. The ball was in His court. Always. Slowly, like some sort of strange evaporation, I watched the life leave my father's body that night, felt his hands grow more and more limp in my own, until the one I was holding slipped out altogether and hung there like a gutted fish. The machine he was hooked up to made an ominous sound, a single, unabbreviated beep, and a nurse took us out of the room ushering Ma and me into the hallway just outside. Ma wept silently beside me, her face in her hands, her shoulders rising and then falling again, and I leaned into her, wrapping an arm around her back and pushing my face into the sleeve of her itchy winter coat. I didn't cry, a fact that stunned me afterward and filled me with guilt as if I had betrayed my father with my lack of emotion. I felt numb instead, as if I was watching everything from overhead, as if it might be happening to someone else instead of us. I stared at the floor for a while, watched the lines in the neat squares beneath me blur, come back into focus, and then blur again. A movement inside the room next to Dad's made me lift my eyes and I looked at a nurse holding an old man's wrist between her thumb and middle finger. She was dressed in pink scrubs, her blonde ponytail anchored high on the back of her head like a tail.
Her eyes watched the clock on the wall as she counted his pulse, and her lips moved just the slightest bit, keeping time with the beats. Pieces of the man's white hair were splayed out above his head like a split milkweed pod. And even from where I sat, I could see the papery quality of his skin. His face was tilted up to the ceiling, as if searching for light or a long-lost scent. When she was finished, the nurse put his hand back down among the folds of his blanket and reached around behind her for a plastic cup of pills. She waited as the man swallowed them, and then arranged his neck carefully in her palm as he gulped a chaser of water. The scene looked like some sort of a painting, framed by the white slats of the doorway, a pale afternoon light touching the nurse's blonde hair, her shadows thrown across the man's bed as she moved quietly around his room.